Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. I started in myeloma nearly 25 years ago. And at that time, the average expectation of life in someone with myeloma was maybe one to two years. But even just in this last 10 to 12 years, we have doubled, if not tripled, the average survival of patients. I saw a new patient this week, and we had this conversation that based on what we've done over the last decade, my expectation is that patient's going to live more than 10 years. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Proactive Caregiving Podcast. As a CPA with over 20 years as an industry accountant, Jessica stepped away from the corporate world to become a full-time caregiver for her mother. Having learned invaluable lessons along the way, she is now here to share those with you and to invite you to join her on this caregiver's journey. Here is your host, Jessica Cannon. Hello, everybody. I'm so glad you're here with me today. I am the Proactive Caregiver and I specialize in educating others on how to be proactive by empowering you, the caregiver. If you cannot take care of yourself, then you cannot take care of your loved one. Caregivers experience what is known as the stress brain loop, but may not be aware of it. This loop is a dangerous routine that caregivers can fall prey to. You might recognize this loop if you recall feeling as if there is no time, effort, support, or opportunity to take a break from this journey. The result is we become high risk for compassion fatigue. The stress chemicals that are naturally secreted by our brains in excess can make us sick. Studies have shown that chronic stress can shrink the brain and our hippocampus. The hippocampus is a key brain region in the emotional brain network and plays a significant role in social cognition and emotion processing. This particular chemical I'm referring to is cortisol. This hormone is our body's natural response to stress to aid us in what is known as the fight or flight mode. The problem with having too much of a good thing or living with excess cortisol in our bodies is the neurological effect of stress. Over time, we adapt to high stress and anxiety-filled routines as caregivers. Our bodies begin to function under a cortisol-dominant state. This way of living induces inadequate sleep, poor eating habits, and emotional distress. As we remain in this cortisol dominance, it will also affect our natural ability with learning, attention span, and memory. So what do we do to slow this cortisol dominance and help our bodies return to a calmer state of being? I asked my colleague, Ellen Jolly, to join me today to share another resource for caregivers. Ellen is a board-certified hypnotherapist, as well as the owner and founder of Capstone Hypnosis. As a resilience coach and CPA, she is able to help her clients build confidence 
and overcome stress and anxiety from being overwhelmed. Her clients have been able to release internal blocks that keep them from achieving their higher levels of emotional strength. The resilience coaching and hypnotherapy work that she does is incredible. So much, it made a huge impact in her life as well. Many years ago, after a divorce left her in a state of excruciating guilt and anxiety, she sought counseling. The counseling helped, but it didn't address the root problem. Hypnosis helped her to initiate real positive change. It is for this reason that she decided to shift her 20-year career as a tax accountant to pursue helping others through hypnotherapy and transformation coaching. She is passionate about helping people overcome the emotional barriers that keep them from living a happy and productive life. This is why I am so happy to have Ellen on with me today. Thanks for coming on today, Ellen. Hi, Jessica. Thank you so much. Thank you for the lovely introduction. And I'm so happy to be talking with you today. Definitely. So aside from my own personal experience with hypnosis, I recognize that what works for one person may not work for many. You know, although meditation and yoga, for example, there were my go-tos for the whole mindfulness practice. That's something that came in after the fact. And in addition to continued therapy. So my question is, after your divorce, how did you discover this healing effect of hypnotherapy? That's a great question. So I was divorced. I've been divorced for 12 years now. And it took about nine or 10 years of failed relationships after my divorce and just not really being able to engage fully in life the way that I wanted to. Mm. So a friend suggested that I try hypnotherapy and I was reluctant and mm. I was skeptical because I, I had been through counseling and it didn't really seem to help. So I didn't know how hypnotherapy would help, but I thought, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'm going to give it a try. Mm-hmm. So I found a hypnotherapist and we developed a great rapport from the beginning After my first session, I remember driving away from her office, feeling so empowered, Mm. so alive, and just, I I had this internal feeling that I could achieve anything that I wanted. And the, the thing is with hypnotherapy, you have to listen to your session every single day because repetition makes a difference because we are, we are, now this is, kind of a scary term that I'm going to use, but we're rewiring the subconscious brain. Right. That's why when we make these changes through hypnosis, it seems very natural and instinctive. Mm-hmm. But to get back to my story, I, I left her office feeling so empowered. And then I couldn't wait to get the link to my recording so that I could listen to it. And it was like a ritual for me mm-hmm. to listen to that recording every single day. It was really a part of my, I'll say recovery mm-hmm. and healing myself. It was a profound experience for me. Absolutely. Cause you know, when you, and I can see exactly now, as you're saying, re-listening to that recording, you know, anytime someone makes a change and they're trying really hard for diets, for example, it takes us at least 21 days, at least 21 days to form a new habit, right? 
And so that's the, right. that consistency of you having the appointment and then following up with re-listening to the actual appointment, that's just reinforcing that habit. <laughs> it is. It is, you know, and even emotions can become habits. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting because there's some sort of, there's the habit loop. There's a trigger, some trigger, and then there's the routine and then the reward. And uh, emotions work that way too. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I talk about worrying at night and, you know, how to sleep better by not worrying at night. Well, how do you not worry? It's kind <laughs> right. of like saying, don't think of the six orange penguins in the room. As soon as you say, don't do something, you're going to just think about doing it. Of course. So my suggestion there is to move that worry habit. It's a habit. Mm-hmm. So move it to a different time of the day. Give yourself an hour or however long you deem necessary to worry. Maybe it's nine o'clock in the morning. I'm going to worry about a certain subject for 20 minutes mm-hmm. and then you're done. And by moving it to a different time of the day, you're, you're moving that habit. And being able to move that habit means you can effectively retrain your brain. That's, that's exactly right. And there are some other things that go along with that. For example, keeping a journal. Mm -hmm. And whenever you keep that journal, you write your worry thoughts in that journal, Uh, whatever they are, Mm -hmm. you know, just write them out in detail. And then by doing that, by writing in the journal, it's a purge. It's kind of an emotional purge, but that's not all that you can do with the journal. The last thing, the third thing is to go back and analyze those worry thoughts Mm -hmm. and ask yourself, is this something that I can do anything about? And if it is, then take steps, make a plan to do whatever you can do. But we kind of go back to the serenity prayer. Mm -hmm. If God grant me the wisdom to change what I can, if, and if I can't, then let it go. And I know that's easier said than done. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's where this resilience comes in and analyzing those thoughts and really, 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 really breaking them down, unboxing them and getting down to the core root cause of what's causing those thoughts. Exactly. And, and I love that you say it that way because letting go, that was something that just before I stepped away from the corporate world, I started to get that image in my mind of, um, it, for me, it was Jesus telling me, let it go, let it go, let it go. And it frustrated me because I thought, what am I supposed to let go of? What, sure. what am I hanging so tightly onto? And or are you trying to tell me to let go of my job, let go of my source of income, let go of my career, let go of my dreams? I mean, what am I letting go of? But I didn't recognize that I had so much to let go of until I started my own process of hypnosis. And then realized it's amazing. It is incredible because through this process, I could finally see what it was, the root cause of what it was that I was hanging on to um, so tightly. And it, ironically for me, my root cause was uh, childhood trauma from sexual abuse. And that Mm -hmm. childhood trauma affected me as an adult. And I had no idea I was on this autopilot path that I was just kind of existing and doing. um, When you talk about the resilience, I saw this as 
you know, that's the difference between book smarts and street smarts. And I'm, I've got my street smarts and my book smarts and I'm, I can push through. But when I started to actually get to that root cause, I realized it was something entirely different. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and resilience isn't that you'll never have anxiety, stress, or overwhelm or sadness ever again. Right. It's that you can go on in spite of those things, Mm -hmm. but resilience really is connecting the dots of those feelings, connecting the actual physical symptoms that you have in the body to the thoughts that we're having. Mm -hmm. And then digging down and getting to the core of what those in the moment thought patterns are, Mm -hmm. or whether it's part of a core personal belief system. Right. Right. Because my, I had two of those. I had the repetitive thoughts that caused me to want to stay away from people, to avoid people, and or mm-hmm. control the situations anytime I could possibly control a situation with people. And then the other part was the core um, value system that I grew up with. And absolutely, it wasn't bad necessarily, because I did get a lot of benefit from some protection. But after a period of time, I had to really reevaluate that core value system to see, okay, this is no longer helping me. It was kind of a manipulation that was keeping me from reaching the higher potential and going above and beyond those mental blockages. Amazing. How did you, how did you come to that realization, Jessica, that that core value system that you learned as a child. And that's a lot where we learn those. We learn them as we're growing up from our family, but then there's also the societal core personal values that are thrust upon us. And it's hard to understand, or it's hard to accept that maybe that personal value system isn't serving me anymore. Right. And how do I let go of that? How did you come to that determination for yourself? So I was in a situation first going through therapy for a couple of years, actually, and kind of picking apart and going one moment by moment and breaking it apart and actually looking at that, seeing it for what it was, and then going back and trying to look at it in a different perspective. It's like mentally being in a room, seeing yourself, this is what happened. Now we're going to take a deep breath and we're going to try and shift in that room mentally. And now I want you to see it a different way. And so looking at it and understanding it, because there is the story I told myself for years that helped me sleep at night, that helped me function in the day when these um, flashbacks would come into my mind, something would happen at work or while I was caring for mom and these flashbacks would start coming into my mind. And at first it was kind of like, what in the world? What? why am I having these feelings of anxiety? I, what I'm the moment that I was in didn't connect to it, but somehow it was triggering something. And the first instinct was to avoid it, ignore it, cover it up, shove it back down. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. that obviously didn't help me. And it actually created some more friction. So arguments, easy, little petty arguments would come up between uh, me and mom, for example, or even with my family and or coworkers and, and managers even at some point that I was fighting from that old past mindset 
And so then I finally, eventually along the way, being able to reframe that image of what happened and retell the story in a different way a more, not that I was, and I don't want to say retell the story. Like I wasn't recreating it so that I was lying to myself. It was just taking it from what I felt was the victim story to just a neutral person in it to see what actually happened. Yeah. So I love that you say that because you go back and kind of witness it again, mm -hmm. but learn to interact with it from, from my personal experience. I learned to interact with that. Those, I, I had some trauma in my childhood also that I can tell you about in a little bit, but yeah, I had to learn to, to view it from an adult's perspective, right, as opposed to a 10 year old perspective. Exactly. And that's what it was. So that scared inner child that I had was viewing the world as an adult and trying to make sense of all of it. And so I eventually I had a moment that I was on a phone conversation and thankfully it wasn't in person, but it was a phone conversation. And the response to this, what felt like a personal attack on the phone I, in the moment, suddenly was able to realize, pause, stop. This person is not attacking me. This person is having a hard day. Um, She's not talking to you personally and in this negative way. Um, But you are reacting to her negatively because she's making you feel like that old scenario. One of those many old scenarios. So then I was able to function with that. And it just so happened in that day, in that moment, when I was having this stress reaction, even though I was aware of it, so I wasn't stressing as much as I normally would have. It was just less stress. And I was aware of what was happening. And thankfully, I had a follow up phone call with the therapist. (laughs) And (laughs) in this moment, he was like, what's going on? What's happening? Well, this is, and I was able to talk through, this is the conversation that took place. And he was like, before we even address any of that, let's take some deep breaths. And we just did some recentering. And once I kind of calmed back down, then we talked through that moment. And then I realized this was connected. That reaction that I was having was connected to old programming. And that old programming were the old core values that I grew up with. And so the connection there was made that, and it's not just old family core values. It's sometimes it's, it's what you're taught in the corporate world. Um, they That's teach right. this sense of loyalty and we're a family network and we're together. We're a team and they pile you on with all kinds of um, responsibilities and obligations and demands and deadlines and all this stuff because, you know, we're family, right? But then suddenly family changes when the budget has to be tightened up or, and we have to let someone go and, oh, sorry, we love you, but you're no longer part of our family. And so you, you don't get to see, you feel that rejection and you feel the abandonment, but you don't get to see how manipulating those core values can be. And it was that moment that I had in this call that all of that finally just kind of made sense and that connection and understanding the awareness of these feelings that were triggered inside of me and then actually stepping back and saying, okay, I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling scared. I'm feeling uh, attacked and needing to be on the defensive. 
why is this phone call making me feel this way? And I had to actually step through that. And so like you said, writing it down in that moment, I couldn't write it down because it was real time happening, but being able to talk about it and put words to it and say, this phone call, instead of saying like I would have done before that call, that person just pissed me off. (laughs) I had to turn back around and say that phone call made me feel anxious. That phone call made me feel rejected. That phone call made me feel under attack. And I was able to put words to it in a different way. That's so, so powerful because you were able to just take the situation and apply the facts. Just -hmm. think about the facts of the situation and then analyze the facts of the situation. I mean, really what you what you were learning to do in that moment is use real-time resilience to help you steer through. And that's, and see, and that in the moment, I didn't recognize it as that. It was afterwards when I was able to go to yet another therapy session, more of the hypnosis, and explain this and understand what part of me got triggered by this phone call or the person on the other end that person happened to mirror someone in my family. And it wasn't this person, it was the family connection, the drama that that triggered me. And so I noticed that it kind of came full circle. I was like, well, no wonder this is what I had been doing in the corporate world where I would leave a job and go somewhere else because this person at this other job made me feel uncomfortable, unappreciated, um, like I was always on the defensive, no matter how much I did was never good enough. And so I'd leave a job and go somewhere else. And it wasn't so much the job. And unfortunately, yes, corporate world can be like this. Um, you're there to, to feed their bottom line. <laughs> but at the same time, it's the relationship. It's this emotional connection and understanding how to take that in the moment, process it and move forward instead of letting it break you down and emotionally stunt you. It's amazingly powerful. Absolutely. It's amazingly powerful because then at that point, once you've developed that resilience, then you're able to commit to the relationships that are nurturing for you. And you can recognize those that are not serving you. Right. And and, the, and and also, just like you said, you recognize that it wasn't really about that conversation. Mm-hmm. It was triggering situations from your past, from your childhood. Right. The root cause. Right. Yeah. So being able to go through this hypnosis process and in addition to other therapy as well, it just really helped me look at the world, people around me, whether it was up close relationships or it was a stranger in the grocery store, it just, or at the gas station, it just helped me look at our connection, our ability to connect with others in a different way. And so I I felt like it gave me a lot more compassion than I ever had before this. I I love that. I, I love it. It's amazing because, you know, somebody might cut us off in traffic and my initial response is to get road rage and get really mad. But (laughs) then I think I just have to tell myself, you know what, Ellen, 
that person might be trying to get to the hospital. Right. Maybe that person had a bad day. Mm -hmm. And so just let it go. Mm -hmm. Because when I'm in a fit driving my car, I'm not hurting anybody but me. Yeah, exactly. It's only affecting me. Exactly. So I found a sense of calmness first. And then after this calmness came, then more confidence started to come. And so it helped me take get a grip on what my day-to-day -day with mom had become. But it wasn't a consistent sense of confidence because until I was able to address that root cause or the childhood trauma, it just, it was continually haunting my day-to-day day -day thoughts. Yes. And so these thoughts are something that I feel like other caregivers, because when I think about, yes, caregiving is stressful. It is physically demanding. But then I started to think, why is it so stressful? Aside of the physical demand, why is it so stressful? And then I started to think about this. Um, some of this opportunity for caregivers to have and learn what resilience is and apply it to their life a little bit more. They're also being criticized continually. Oh, which sure you begin to gain that sense of resilience. And then you're also fighting that this other side of criticism. Yes. Yes. Criticism is uh, no, nobody likes it. I mean, it's, it's very hard to deal with. Mm -hmm. um, there are some specific steps that a person can take to deal with criticism. And the first one is to recognize that the other person's behavior really is difficult. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of times we want to give the other person the benefit of the doubt or um, some of my clients, when they, when they came to me, they maybe didn't have enough confidence mm -hmm. to see that person giving the criticism for, for what they were. And they really took those words to heart. Right. So the first step is to recognize that the other person's behavior really is difficult and hateful and aggressive. Mm -hmm. And then step two is to know the difference between a complaint and an attack. Mm. So a complaint is about something specific. It's not an all or everything, and it's not a character attack. Whereas an attack really is very broad. And uh, for example, if you asked your son to pick up milk from the grocery store and he comes home without the milk mm -hmm. and you said, oh, you never do what I ask you to do. Mm. That's an attack mm -hmm. versus I asked you to pick up milk and you didn't bring it home. That's a complaint. Mm -hmm. And those two things are very different things mm -hmm. and can make a person feel worthless or can just alert the person that they made a mistake and please do better next time. Right. Yes. And then step three is how to help yourself feel indifferent to insults. And hypnotherapy is fantastic for this because you can do a little bit of, I, I guess I'll call it role play or practicing in your head. If you 
remember a situation where there was criticism Mm -hmm. and it hurt you, you can close your eyes and go back to that time. Just kind of play it again in your head, but from a distance. Imagine that you're watching it like a movie on a big Mm. movie theater screen. Right. And then notice whenever those criticisms and insults start to come, see yourself feeling indifferent to them, kind of like water off a duck's back. Mm -hmm. And the more that you practice this in your mind, the easier it becomes for real life. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's what I eventually started to do and be able to Because part of gaining that sense of compassion, understanding, like you said, with the road rage, they might be trying to get to the hospital and they didn't mean to cut me off. And so that reframing it and seeing the difference between what is the statement or the action versus the attack, like my phone call. Yes. Made a world of difference for me. Yes. And it's, it's amazing how it can work this way. And I know that in my past, I've watched people who were so very calm Mm -hmm. and kind and adversity didn't seem to phase them at all. And I would always think how in the world, and you know, they, Mm -hmm. they may have learned resiliency throughout their lifetime. They may just be inherently calm in themselves, but it can be learned. That's the amazing part is that we can learn resiliency. And like you said, to your point, it's first a matter of overcoming anxiety and learning how to calm yourself and then reframing the thoughts that are going through your mind and being able to look at a situation from a different perspective. Right. Exactly. And that's where, for me, that, and this is also what I realized, not only myself when as a full-time caregiver, but other caregivers. So caregivers often hear insults from their loved ones who have either dementia, some form of dementia, or um, a critical family member. And hearing these things, it's, it's hard to not take these insults or whether they were intended to be an insult or not sometimes we we automatically project and we feel that because of the our past traumas or even present traumas because i can say for one uh, our insane texas winter storm that caused oh, some yes. trauma it was. <laughs> so, um, it and there was. was there was a lot of reframing in, the, in I, there was a lot of me telling myself <laughs> You are okay, and there are a lot of other people who have it worse than you. Exactly. So but this, just get through this. It, 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 this too shall pass. Exactly, exactly. And, and I found with mom, so like you said, that some people it doesn't affect them, and some people it does. But in mom's case, it, things weren't affecting her because of her form of dementia was causing the lack of empathy. And so interesting. it's not always someone has more or less resilience. There's, there's usually someone else, because we don't know what everybody else is going through. And in this case, I've learned I need to approach everything I experience with compassion because I used to be in the old mindset. 
everyone's guilty until proven innocent. And I know that sounds horrible, but it was one of my coping mechanisms to keep me safe and protected and away from people. But now after the fact, it's like, I need to see everybody in as much compassion and give them as much grace as possible until they've proven that I need to be careful with them or I need to step aside or put some more either emotional distance or physical distance from them. But this is something that caregivers have to kind of analyze and be in the moment and see this isn't a personal attack or maybe it is. Maybe they didn't like the scrambled eggs you cooked them that day because they wanted something else. It just, you know, and uh, I've, I've been a caregiver only to my son mm-hmm. and, and to my grandparents when they were, my, my grandmother had dementia for about 10 years and, passed away in 2009. And then my grandfather also was ill during that time. And I did some of their caretaking. Mostly it was my aunt, but my, my parents were killed when I was nine and 10 years old in in separate car wrecks. And I'm I'm going, (laughs) being very long winded about this point that I'm trying to make, but with regard to caregivers and having to approach situations and loved ones with compassion and grace. I love how you said that. Because sometimes as the caregiver, they can receive criticism and complaints from the person that they're caring for. Exactly. And I know that that can be so very hurtful Mm -hmm. because you're trying to care for them and love them in the best way that you can. And then when, when the person being cared for attacks, it just, it just feels terrible. And it, I've noticed that sometimes that person being cared for attacks the person closest to them and is meanest to the person taking care of them. Yep. Do you find that that's true? And that was my scenario. It it really was because there are, unfortunately with dementia, there is, uh, as the, the brain deteriorates, there is the type of personality that either as they deteriorate more, they, the personality that they had before is more exaggerated. So if that person is happy-go-lucky, they may just become sweeter, maybe quieter, but they, they pretty much stay on that path. But if the person beforehand used to be temperamental, short with words, very critical of you or easy to be angered, then that just kind of progresses even more. It just exaggerates more as they go through their process. And so that was kind of my situation with mom. I had comments that would come from her. I would, it really, some of them would just hurt. And I'd have, I used to take them to heart. And then eventually, as I went through this process for other reasons, I was able to apply it to caregiving as well. And so in the moment, if whether it was a shower day or if it was an outing to the doctor's office, when those comments would come up, it was just kind of like, okay. That's, that wasn't intended as an attack. That wasn't intended to hurt me. That wasn't, she, the filter is gone. And so I would internally, you know, driving somewhere or even once we were back home prepping dinner or something like that, I would go in my mind and just kind of think through this and just step myself through the steps that I learned from therapy. And each time I did that, I felt like I got stronger and stronger. Now it doesn't go away because where I was able to understand it with mom, 
other relationships look differently. So it's harder to identify it in different people, right? Because not right. everyone in my life, thankfully, has a form of dementia. But relationships with family and friends or coworkers, it just, it will present in a different way. But the tools, I now have these tools that I can apply to each scenario, each different person. I, I love that. And I love your journey. And what comes to mind to me right now is self-care. And mm-hmm. I, I feel like, especially for caregivers, but for everyone, right. self-care is critical. And I now understand self-care in a different way than I did two years ago. Oh, yeah. I previously thought self-care was going to the spa and getting a pedicure or a facial or right. something frou-frou exactly. like that. <laughs> but self-care is critical and it's so important. And it means taking care of yourself. It means washing your face and getting dressed every day. Mm -hmm. It means giving yourself the personal time that you need every day. You know, what do you need for your personal energy every single day? For me, I need four things. I need movement, Mm -hmm. meditation, creation, and connection. Those four things. And I, uh, for somebody else, it'll, it would be a different thing, but it's important to ensure that you get that for yourself every mm-hmm. single day. Absolutely. So that, especially if you're a caregiver, then after you've taken care of yourself, then you've got that energy to take care of your loved one. Absolutely. And it's, it, um, thank you for saying that because the thought of taking care of ourselves, putting our energy and our time and our focus into everyone else, but ourselves that's not resilience. That's neglect of yourself. That's right. And it's, that's right. It's something that people don't make that connection until, well, now the caregiver's sick. Now the caregiver's having, whether it's an emergency or they're having their more doctor's appointments and more medications and more, well, cause you're running yourself down. You're burning that's yourself right. out and you're not doing what you need. Cause I used to think the exact same thing, self-care. I'm going to go get my hair done today. I'm going to get my nails done. I'm going to go for a massage. Um, what else can I throw in there? That's all about me. And that's not entirely, yes, those are good, feel good things to do. And we all need to do them. They're not just, yes, don't get luxury. me wrong. I love them. Yeah, exactly. But then I realized my self-care was what I was putting into my body nutritionally my self-care was how much time I gave myself, whether it was the first thing in the morning, throughout the day, or before bedtime. How much time did I give myself to meditate and unwind and kind of take inventory of the day? I know my brain was going to do that once I fell asleep and I went into la-la land. And that's the the medical part of the brain and the long-term and short-term memory. I get that. But I emotionally had to download and kind of figure things out. And that's where my awareness was sharpened. Amazing. I love that you bring up awareness because it is, it's critical. It's a critical word because if we are unaware, we are unable to do anything about it. It is when we become aware that we begin to notice certain things and then we can change or alter those things if we need to or want to. Right. Right. It's, and it, it begins to be 
the new program in the brain. It begins to be the new habit that we step forward with. And then as you continue to do it and you get past those 21 days and you start feeling good, then it starts becoming your new necessity. That's right. And then, and then even enjoy it. Right. I, I know I enjoy self-care so much more than I used to. I love my meditation time. Mm-hmm. I love my movement or my workout time, mm-hmm. even creation. Right. Um, I, I use it to, to write content and create content. And it's for my business. I have to do it. Right. But, but also, it's very personal for me. I write all of my own content and it comes from me. And so it's um, not only inspirational, but it's um, therapeutic. Absolutely. Yes. And that's yet another area I noticed the difference. My writing before therapy and my writing after therapy. It was a big difference. The style of writing, the honesty, the ability that even if I'm not face-to-face with someone who's reading it, I know I'm connecting with that person who's going to read it later. And hopefully it resonates with them. And the message that I intended is actually coming across as opposed to that angry, naggy, bitchy, (laughs) emotional person that was before that wouldn't get an intended message across effectively anyways. I love it. I love it. And and not only is it therapeutic in that and that it's uh, a purge, but then we can go back later and analyze those thoughts mm-hmm. and figure out what they mean. Was it anger? Was it sadness? Was it guilt? Yes. Um, was it anxiety and fear? Or you know, was it embarrassment? Those are the five basic emotions. Mm-hmm. And you know, by writing down our thoughts, we can figure out okay, what is this stemming from? And then go even further in analyzing what you can do about it. Right. And that's feeling that there is something that I can do about it reduces my stress and anxiety. Because then I feel like I can make a difference in it. I'm not just, it's not just happening to me. It's not just an, yet another experience that I feel is happening for whatever reason. Did I cause this? Is this, you know, because I do believe things happen for a reason, but understanding what that reason is and what I'm supposed to take from it and feeling like I have no control over what that reason is, it changes. And so I noticed when I went back to some of my early writing, when I first stepped away from the corporate world and I first started writing, reading some of that old stuff and reading it now and rewriting some of it to kind of get now that I have that different perspective. Oh my Mm -hmm. gosh. I was just amazed to see how much anger and disgust and where my mind was coming out of that first step away from the corporate world and now feeling like, okay, I have purpose in life. I have reason to be here. And now it's not just all about mom anymore. Mom is part of it, but it's not all about her. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and I like what we're talking about for caregivers and people out in the corporate world, because 
there are people who are in the corporate world and they're having this anxiety, stress, and overwhelm, mm -hmm. but they can't quit their job. Right. And so they've got to develop some mechanism to deal with it so they have a better work-life balance. Yeah. And then if you're a caregiver, well, that's a job too. And you and you definitely can't quit that one. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. And there are even the people who are still in the working world. And at the same time, they have people to care for. Whether it's their family, their children, their spouses, or their parents, or friends. I mean, they still have people. So it's almost like you're doubled up. You've got two jobs that you're pulled in different directions for because each one has different levels of demands and priorities. Sure. And so it just compounds and it just adds to that stress and anxiety. And so that's where I feel that caregivers end up in that cortisol dominant state and they don't know how to break a cycle because they're many times they're not even aware they're in a cycle. You know, I, I like that you said that the cycle, it's the habit because right. you know, our brain creates habits and we might not even be aware of that habit right. or the cycle. Right. So one of the things that I didn't realize I was doing until I was going over some of your material as a helpful hint, the, it was called the emotional freedom technique or the oh, tapping. Yes, yes. And so I, I wanted caregivers to know of this because when I read through the material, I thought this is perfect. And then I realized, oh my gosh, I was kind of doing this and I know it's a stress reliever, but it's also one of the things that I consider a self-soothing technique because the tapping points, um, I may not have been hitting the points that you had mentioned, but I realized I was tapping my fingertips <laughs> and even, of course, you can't see me right now, but um, during some of the podcasts, I tap my fingertips because it's a stress reliever when I get nervous. Mm -hmm. I, yes, I, I, I love it. And I've used this for myself and it it's akin to acupressure because we're we're activating the energy centers of the body and um if you'd like for me to go through the tapping points i definitely can i have my own story about eft or tapping i was skeptical of it of course until mm -hmm. i i tried it and the the first this is a true story but the first way that it helped me truly helped me was lower back pain. Mm. I, for years, have had this chronic lower back pain that's probably due to stress. Mm -hmm. And it, it was extremely painful one afternoon. So I thought, okay, I'm going to tap this out. Hmm. I did several rounds of tapping and it absolutely relieved the pain. Wow. I, I didn't tap long enough to really get to the root cause mm -hmm. of the pain but it's possible. And so it relieved my pain for a good couple of hours before it gradually started coming back. And then I would tap again and the pain would go away. So it, it, it absolutely did work in a very physical way for me. Mm -hmm. And it can work in a very physical way for anxiety. And, and I've used it for anxiety as well. It's amazing because not only are you activating those energy centers, mm -hmm. physically releasing the anxiety, but 
you're distracting yourself in the moment Mm -hmm. and you're focusing on the tapping, you're, you know, counting as you go and you've got these statements that you're saying to yourself and the statements are not as important as the tapping, Mm -hmm. but as you're doing the sequence, then be ready for what comes up because Mm -hmm. something might come up that you need to deal with. Mm -hmm. And it might be something that that's uncomfortable. That's, but, but it's, it's going to get down. You're going to peel away the layers until you get to the root cause of that anxiety. And it's just amazing because first of all, it's free. Mm -hmm. You can do it anywhere, anytime. And it works. So can you tell me a few of the tapping parts, the the energy parts? Yes, absolutely. So the first spot is the side of the hand. It's that fleshy part of the hand. So I use my left hand and I just kind of do a palm toward my face and I'm looking at my palm. I take my right hand and I just tap on the side of the palm. It's called the karate chop point. And here is where we love and accept ourselves. And so I might say, even though I'm feeling this anxiety, I fully and deeply love and accept myself. Mm. So we're putting ourselves at ease. We are accepting whatever it is. We're loving ourselves from the very first moment. And the second tapping point is the eyebrow. So Mm -hmm. if you put your middle finger there where your eyebrow begins, Mm -hmm. kind of by your nose, but just above the corner of your eye, Mm -hmm. tap there and say, oh, this anxiety, this anxiety. And I'm remember that the words are less important than the actual tapping. And then the side of the eye. So if you follow your brow around that bone, Mm -hmm. you get to the side of the eye, you tap there, uh, I don't know, seven to 10 times on each spot. And you can say this anxiety, I'm feeling so anxious right now. And then under the eye, you go just below the iris and tap on the cheekbone. Mm -hmm. The next tapping point is under the nose, just above the lip. Oh, this anxiety. And then the chin. So it's between the chin and the lip. It's that crease there. Right. This anxiety is really bothering me today. Mm-hmm. And then go to the collarbone and you can use your whole palm here. This is what I do and tap seven to 10 times repeating any phrase that you would like, anything about the anxiety, whatever's you're feeling, whatever comes up. Oh, this anxiety. I hate this anxiety. Hmm. And then under the arm, it's about a hand width below the armpit, kind of where your bra strap is and tap there with your, you can, I use my whole hand to tap there, or you can use your fingertips, whatever is easiest for you. Hmm. And then the last point is the top of the head. So repeat this sequence five to eight times Mm -hmm. until you notice a difference. And you can repeat this for as long as needed, Hmm. but it's, it's a way to kind of get you out of your head and into the moment. Love that. And that's part of reducing the stress as well is coming back to the present moment, not the past that's triggering you, or the future that's worrying you, but coming back to that present moment. 
That's right. That's right. And I'm I'm going to produce a video of this because it's easier to watch somebody do it the first time with the words. And I'll I'll be posting that on my YouTube channel in the near future. Cool. Good. So on that note, how do our, our listeners find you then? Yes, yes. Thank you for asking me that question. The best place to find me and to reach out to me is my website, which is capstonehypnosis.com. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm I can be emailed at Ellen at capstonehypnosis.com. And then I'm on the social media. I have a Facebook page, Capstone Hypnosis. I am on Instagram. You can find me on LinkedIn under Ellen Jolly. And then also my YouTube channel, which is the channel is Ellen Jolly. Nice. Ellen, thank you so much for sharing this information with us today. I know the caregivers will benefit from hypnosis. It's something that if someone is reluctant to try yoga and meditation, this is definitely an alternative and a very beneficial alternative for them to look forward to. Thank you. I appreciate so much talking with you today. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Same here. So thank you for joining in and listening with us today. You can find more about this topic on the blog at jessicalazelcannon.com. I hope this gave you more food for thought. And until next time, ladies and gentlemen, be proactive. Take care, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode. To learn more about proactive caregiving and to hear other episodes of this podcast, please visit www.jessicalazelcannon.com. This podcast is produced by Canon Light Media, LLC, www.canonlightmedia.com. Music provided by Chris Paradise. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.